Philly, you are so wonderful and interesting. You deserve a local news podcast all your own. Check out the John Cast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. President Joe Biden has nominated Judge Ketanji Brown Jackson to the Supreme Court. Her confirmation hearings begin on March 21st, and if confirmed, she would become the first black woman to ever serve on the high court. We wanted to learn more about Judge Jackson's career, so we caught up with Lisa Tucker. She is an associate professor of law at the Drexel University Thomas R. Klein School of Law. So before we start our discussion, I just want to put out there, you have a personal relationship with with Ketanji Brown Jackson, uh, just so that everybody knows it, correct? That's correct. We met in law school and we've been close friends for more than a decade. So we talked when Justice Stephen Breyer first announced his retirement and we were kicking around who it could be. And Ketanji Brown Jackson was right at the top of the list. I think it was the first name you talked about. Everybody I've talked to. She was the first name. Uh, a few weeks later, she is uh, officially nominated to the Supreme Court. Uh, just talk about uh, what we can expect to learn about her career. Yeah, well, so much of it is already out there in the public. And one thing I think is is really neat is that the White House has really made an, a substantial effort to introduce her to the American people. I don't know if you saw, for example, the introduction video that President Biden released. I think it was yesterday. Um, but she is, uh, you know, a, a very down to earth, regular person. Uh, she grew up in Florida. She went to public schools. Her parents were involved in the public school system. Her mom was a principal. Her dad was the attorney for the public school district. Um, she uh, went on to Harvard, even though her college counselor told her, yeah, maybe you should aim a little bit lower. Uh, and then went to Harvard Law School, where she really shone, um, held a lot of, of big positions. And then since then, she's just had a variety of, of very important and, and well-regarded positions, both in the public and the private sector. Um, and I think it's really noteworthy that, um, for example, she has family um, who were police officers or are police officers. And she has been a public defender. So she really sees things on both sides of a lot of issues. Um, you know, for example, criminal law and the Fraternal Order of Police um, actually endorsed her, which is a very, very big deal um, for someone who's been a public defender. So I think what we're seeing is somebody who can really relate a lot to American people and who has a lot of lived experience. And of course, the lived experience that no one before her has had, and that is of a Black woman growing up in America. Um, she's now 51, almost 52 years old. And what that means is if you look back, she was born during civil rights era and has really lived the life of civil rights coming to the forefront and, and what that means to her. The idea that she used to be a public defender, not the idea, the fact that she was a, a public defender, that seems to me as a layman, I don't remember that being talked about for possible Supreme Court justices. Is this completely unique? Anyone having this type of background uh, in as a public defender? 
There has never been a public defender on the Supreme Court. Um, the last person who was similar was Thurgood Marshall, who, of course, was the first black Supreme Court justice. And he did a lot of criminal defense work, but not officially as a public defender, which is an office, just like the district attorney is an office. The public defenders is an office. Um, and so she will be the first. Um, and it'll bring a really interesting perspective. You know, a large portion of the court's docket is criminal cases. And for example, um, Justice Sotomayor used to be a prosecutor. So having that voice when they're having their conversations in what I call the bat cave, it's this secret conference room that they go into to discuss their cases. Um, I think that's really valuable. It's valuable for everyone to have a balanced perspective. She is currently on the DC Court of Appeals. And correct, correct me if I'm wrong but she actually took the spot of Merrick Garland when he went to become the attorney general am I correct that's right yes she did and just to um the DC Court of Appeals because the district is both sort of a state and a federal um entity she's actually on the federal court which is the DC Circuit Court of Appeals versus the DC Court of Appeals if that makes sense no absolutely absolutely yeah. I and I thank you for clarifying that um and that that's pretty much very rarefied air being on on that court. Like Correct. that's almost that's a very I, I don't know if we'll, in one way it, it's a small step in another way. Anytime you're going to the Supreme Court, it's a big step. But you're right there kind of on the doorstep of the Supreme Court. Correct. That's right. So many justices have come from the D.C. Circuit. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for example, um, was on the D.C. Circuit. Uh, Chief Justice Don Roberts, Clarence Thomas. So many former justices were on the D.C. Circuit. So many consider it to be the second most powerful court in the country. Um, of course, one of the other Supreme Court shortlisters, Michelle Childs, has been nominated to the D.C. Circuit. So we will hopefully see her confirmed in the next few months. And I want to take a moment and we'll come back to Judge Jackson, but the, the fact that she's a public defender and we've done conversations, there was so much attention during the Donald Trump presidency of the the way they were getting Republicans were getting federal judges appointed. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't got as much attention, the work that the Biden administration has done, but they've actually gone faster and they have put forth a wildly diverse group of, of people where I have heard multiple people public being public defenders and getting nominated and confirmed to federal court. Uh, just how big is this kind of continuing with Ketanji Brown Jackson, but putting this diversity, not just from a race gender standpoint, but from a background standpoint on the federal bench across the board. Yeah, so I certainly do not want to diminish in any way Judge Jackson's nomination. It is huge. It's historic. She's going to make a huge difference in this country. But that said, the Supreme Court only hears about 65 to 70 cases per year. And while they're very, very big cases and of, of on issues of, of national importance, really, the most of the work is done in the lower federal courts, in the federal trial courts, and in the federal courts of appeals. So those are going to have hundreds, thousands of cases every year. And so by diversifying the lower federal courts, we're really bringing people of different perspectives, different life experiences to where the vast majority, 99.9% .9 of the law is being 
discussed and decided. So it's incredibly important. And of course, the Supreme Court is the pinnacle and, you know, representation matters, diverse voices matter. But really where the, the hard work is getting done is where all of these other federal judges are being appointed. The confirmation hearing, I think, is set to begin before the Senate Judiciary Committee on March 21st. Yes. Uh, something I think it's important to point out. We talked about how Judge Jackson is on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. That required Senate confirmation. So yes. she has already been confirmed by the Senate. And it would seem to me, even in our most partisan, most polarized it would be really hard to argue because I think she was only confirmed to that a year or so ago. I mean, this yeah, is during, not this even is during the Joe yeah. Biden presidency. Right. Uh, so it is hard to see a scenario where someone that and she did get three GOP votes where this could go off the track when she was confirmed by this same body very recently. Right. So I think the same body is incredibly important. Yes. And she did get those GOP votes. Um, Two other times she's been confirmed by the Senate, um, both when she was uh, nominated to the Sentencing Commission and when she was nominated to the United States District Court, the federal trial court. So she's been through the confirmation process three times before. The Supreme Court is a whole nother ball of wax. Nobody's going to pretend differently. There's no doubt that she's preparing a lot for these hearings, you know, in the coming weeks. Um, But it is hard to see how she wouldn't be confirmed by the same body. And it's also hard to see, and and we haven't seen it start yet, but it's hard to see how Republicans would really want to expend their political capital on this nomination. The Democrats do control the Senate. Uh, Kamala Harris, you know, will vote if it's a tie. And she's very, very qualified. Um, I've had so many people from across the country who, you know, are on different sides of the aisle say, wow, her introduction, her speech was just so moving. And so she seems so fantastic. Right. And I would. And also she's replacing Justice Breyer, who is a a liberal nominated by a Democrat. So it's not going to change the balance of the court. So it's really hard to imagine that the Republicans are going to want to make a big fuss about this. They have to do a little bit pro forma. Right. But I think that they'll probably save their big guns, so to speak, uh, for the next nominee. What do you think once we get to the confirmation hearings? What what are you expecting to be some of the focuses of the senators? What do you think we will hear? Do you think we will hear specifics on decisions she has offered or do you think we're going to hear broad brush? How do you feel about this? What is your stance on X? What is your stance on Y? Yeah, so a little bit of both. They will certainly ask her about past experiences she's had, perhaps about past things she's written. They will also try, and and this happens whether it's, you know, which whoever the nominee is and whoever the president is that's making the nomination, that senators will try to pin her down on her views on, let's say, abortion or gun rights or religion. And really... Um, you know, since Ruth Bader Ginsburg in the last 30 years, we have not seen anybody answer those questions. Um, And rightfully so. Basically, what happens is they say, look, these are issues that are regularly before the court. I can't say how I would decide them because I have to look at the case that's in front of me and decide it based on that case. So um, she will be asked those questions. 
Um, and I say with absolutely no inside knowledge, just as a court observer in general and as a law professor, that she won't answer them, that, you know, that and no one will actually expect her to answer them. It will. Again, it's sort of a pro forma thing. The senators will ask them because they're expected to. And it'll be a little bit of a show. Uh, you know, Joe Biden, uh, 40 years ago, I want to say. Uh, called the confirmation hearings a kabuki dance. This is really a show. Um, the American public may or may not tune in, but it's really the senators stumping for their constituencies. And you talked about how she would be replacing Justice Breyer and it wouldn't affect the ideological makeup uh, of the court at this point. But what kind of impact as not just as the first black woman, but just as a black woman with her background, what kind of impact can she have on the court even not part of the majority wing. Right. Well, the justices talk with each other extensively about their uh, views on cases. Uh, they do so in their private conferences, which they hold almost weekly. And they do so in their lunchroom where they go and all have lunch together. Uh, and they do so through written memoranda that are circulated throughout the court. So certainly she will be thinking about how to use her voice to uh, have the other justices listen. But, you know, right now she may be able to write some really powerful dissents if she's not in the majority. And we have seen over the past several years that this court can change very, very rapidly. So we may see her be in the majority sooner rather than later. Um, so she'll be laying the groundwork. She is somebody who um, is very, very, very good with people. And she will be forming great relationships, I have no doubt, with her colleagues on the court. And I think they're going to want to listen to her. She's somebody who's you talk to her for five minutes and you know she's the smartest person in the room. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In-Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon and we'll have another episode out soon. 